It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to play like a jet. With your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw. Steps up. Floats a bomb up the right seam. Looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Anderson, too much deflected. And put that crazy. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for midweek with Manish by the man who covers the New York Jets for the New York Daily News, Manish Mehta. Hey, Manish, I guess there's a little bit of news that we need to talk about first involving some guy named Robbie Anderson. Yeah, the the Robbie Anderson uh, saga ends in week two of free agency. I guess a lot of people... Uh, including myself, thought that uh, he'd be one of the first guys signed out of the gate, but and he remained patient. And then you give him credit because uh, I think uh, you know a lot of Jet fans figured the more time that went by that Robbie was not signed, the greater the opportunity and the greater the odds were that he would come back to the Jets. But and that obviously wasn't the case when he uh, signed that two-year, twenty million dollar deal with the Panthers. And look, he's going to get about twelve million dollars. Uh, in the first year in 2020 and uh, you know if you asked people you know three or four days ago do you think Robbie Anderson could you know could get that high given the fact that the first week of free agency went by and he did not sign I think most people would have said no he'd he'd have to take a a drastically reduced rate from what uh, was initially thought uh, before free agency but uh, you know his patience uh, ultimately uh, paid off and you know, the Jets uh, didn't wait that long to find his replacement. So what exactly happened here? What was the timeline? Did the Jets have an offer on the table? Did they essentially dare Robbie Anderson to go somewhere else? Was this something that had been in Robbie's head for a while because Matt Rule was a new coach in Carolina and he obviously coached him at Temple? What happened here exactly? Well, I'll say this. Matt Rule had his eye on Robbie Anderson for a very long time. And I'll give uh, the Panthers and and Robbie's camp, frankly, a lot of credit because there were a lot of uh, teams attached to Robbie Anderson entering free agency. The Raiders, chief among them, 
uh, perhaps the Packers, the Eagles were mentioned as well. And those all seem like, uh, you know, likely destination points, you know, given those teams' needs uh, at wide receiver. But you didn't hear much about the Panthers, obviously, as you said, Scott, the, uh, the Matt Rule-Temple connection was always there. But I can tell you that Matt Rule won it, Robbie, a long time ago, and he made it clear uh, to, you know, to his bosses and the people in that building that uh, he wanted to get Robbie. And I don't think that interest ever waned. And uh, you know, Robbie Anderson had a great relationship with Matt Rule at Temple. And I, I know that he was looking for a stable leader, a coach that he fully trusted, somebody he truly believed in. Uh, and Matt Rule really checked all those boxes. I think, you know, their relationship, that, that trust that they built when he was in college, you know, sustained throughout these years. And, and he felt that, hey, look, you know, they've got a new owner, uh, an owner who's clearly not uh, afraid of spending. He spent a ton of money to bring Matt Rule in. Uh, they got a new quarterback, uh, his former teammate for one offseason, Teddy Bridgewater. They've got an explosive, dynamic uh, running back, arguably the best all-around player in the NFL, with Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. And they've got some young wide receivers uh, with D.J. Moore and others as well. So this has the potential of being a very explosive offense. And and uh, I, I know that that was very appealing to Robbie. Uh, I, I just think, you know, to, to clarify one point, the Jets did like Robbie Anderson, and Joe Douglas said it in the offseason. Uh, I think he referred to Robbie as a quote-unquote great player, uh, but ultimately they did not offer a great price. And, uh, again, I think the leadership coaching element to this uh, shouldn't be marginalized. I also think the, the finances, of course, shouldn't be marginalized. So the Jets did want him back uh, below market value. Uh, they did not – clearly value him in the same way that the Panthers did. And that's why he's ultimately gone. But, uh, you know, this notion that he was going to come back to the Jets on a one-year below-market prove-it deal, that never made any sense. I know that became this talking point, this discussion point, this narrative among uh, a lot of people, you know, mostly Jet fans, uh, you know, why not come back to the Jets and prove it? Well, I mean, what is he going to prove? He, You know, he just played in that same offense. You know, statistically, he didn't blow people away. Why not go to a place where you have, uh, you know, a trust with the head coach? You've got a potentially dynamic offensive play caller coming from college in Brady. Uh, I think the possibilities are really endless down there. That's how he viewed it. That's how Robbie viewed it. Whereas I think he knew what he was getting with the Jets. Uh, you know, all that being said, he had a great relationship with Sam Darnold. I think he does believe that Sam Darnold has a lot of potential, but there's just a lot of other question marks and, and things that didn't particularly sit right with him uh, when it came to the Jets situation. And again, the idea of coming back to the New York Jets as a wide receiver on a prove-it deal, market uh, below market value, uh, that doesn't make sense. And, uh, you know, objectively speaking, how can you argue with them? Manish, I want to come back to who Robbie's replacement is going to be in a second, but you just mentioned the idea of signing a one-year prove-it deal below market value to come back. That was something that a couple of other players have done, and you reported early on in the free agency period that the Jets were offering very low numbers 
to their internal free agents. That turned out to be true, obviously, because we know Jordan Jenkins signed a one-year, $5 million deal. We know that it was a one-year, $5 million deal for Brian Poole. Neville Hewitt got one year, $2 million. Robbie Anderson apparently was offered one year. I don't know the exact figure that they were offering, but couldn't have been that much if he went to Carolina for only $10 million a year. So this is the strategy being employed by Joe Douglas. He wants to get all these guys on one-year deals or glorified one-year deals. It seems like everybody that he signed he can walk away from with the exception of Connor McGovern after one season. This is a dangerous game that he's playing. I understand what he's doing because he's basically clearing everything out and wants to rebuild it. He doesn't want to straight up tell people that he's rebuilding because Jets fans are probably tired of hearing it. So the PR move is to just make these low-key moves, bring in placeholders or keep guys here that are placeholders and be able to use your draft picks to try and build up cornerstones and then eventually build up the money so that they can go out and get impact players when they feel the time is right. The problem is the clock is ticking on Sam Darnold's rookie deal. So while I understand the strategy to an extent, this is a really risky move by Douglas because if this doesn't work out, if he's not able to add foundational pieces in the draft over the next year or two, he will have completely wasted Sam Darnold's rookie window. And on top of that, we don't even know if he's going to be able to put together a unit that's going to let Sam Darnold show what he can do over the next two years because the offensive line for the additions that they've made is still really not very good. You saw Brandon Thorne talk about this when asked by Joe Caparoso. He said that the offensive line is below average and that's being nice about it. They added Van Roten, but Van Roten isn't really much of an upgrade over Brian Winters. You heard Joe Blewett talk about that. He broke down Van Roten's film. George Fant is probably a downgrade from Kelvin Beecham. Fant, if nothing else, is a high upside swing, but we don't know what he can do in a full-time starting role. Connor McGovern's certainly an upgrade, no argument there, and a sizable one at center, but just one guy is not enough to upgrade this line to the point where it's going to be even close to average based on what we saw from it last year so he's got his work cut out for him over the next year or two building this up not only at wide receiver because they just lost Robbie Anderson but at the offensive line where they added players but I'm not so sure that the line is all that much better than it was before so as I said I get what Joe Douglas is doing but man this is a really really risky strategy here I totally agree uh, there's little margin for error for him in the draft he has to absolutely nail this 2020 draft, uh, not, and then 2021, but without getting too far ahead, uh, the pressure is on for him to get high-quality starters in the draft. And that's a difficult thing to do. Even the smartest people in the NFL uh, have a, a hard time finding three guys out of every draft who you can say, hey, you know what, these guys are foundational pieces on offense or defense. Uh, more times than not, you're going to get two or one. And sometimes if you're not particularly good at drafting, you're going to get none. And Jet fans are you're fully aware you know, of that as well. So uh, I agree with you. I, I understand uh, why these one-year deals make sense for Joe Douglas in this respect. It gives him a lot of flexibility, as you said. Uh, you can – move on. It's really a, a trial period for all of these guys. Uh, if they don't work out, you got a fresh slate next year, uh, and you potentially, as the general manager, have an opportunity to hire your own head coach. Uh, you know, the idea of 
Adam Gase surviving a uh, six and ten, or uh, even another seven and nine season, uh, you know, I, I think it's dubious uh, for a number of reasons. First and foremost, the actual owner of the football team, Woody Johnson, uh, in all likelihood will be back from his UK ambassadorship. He has no ties other than financial, of course, to Adam Adam Gase. And if there's a groundswell of vitriol toward the head coach because the team underperformed badly, uh, I would not be surprised in the least bit if there's a new head coach. And, and so if you're Joe Douglas, you kind of get an opportunity to hit the reset button with your own head coach with a lot of cap money to kind of start from scratch. Uh, but uh, as a practical matter, matter the, the Jets are nine years uh, into their playoff drought. This isn't you know, 2016 or 2015 where it's only been a few years since they made the postseason. We're coming up now on a decade, uh, and that's unacceptable. And yes, that is, you know, that that's not Joe Douglas's fault. He inherited a lot of this. But if you are running a business, if you're running a pro franchise, and you're charging people uh, the money that the Jets are charging, uh, you don't necessarily have to go all in every year and take massive gambles. But I do think that you need to expedite the rebuild. And a perfect example of that, frankly, is in this division. It's Buffalo. Look what the Buffalo Bills have done over the past two off seasons. They drafted a quarterback the same year that the Jets did. They beefed up their offensive line. They found two starting wide receivers last off season. They just traded for a star wide receiver a few weeks ago. Uh, they realize that they have a, a special opportunity to build around a rookie quarterback making relative peanuts. He's on his rookie contract. They don't have to pay Josh Allen big money. And we don't even know how good Josh Allen will be. But let's just say that they think he can be their answer at quarterback. And they're paying him, again, nothing, really. So they're beefing up other elements of their team by paying in free agency. And it obviously worked last year because they made the postseason. They won 10 games. Uh, for all intents and purposes, I like to think that they would have won 11 games if they actually started everybody in week 17 instead of the JV team against the Jets. So for all intents and purposes, there were an 11-win team last year. They went to the playoffs. Uh, now they blew a 16-point lead, but there's clear progress as a team that you can see in Buffalo. They are making tangible steps forward, whereas I'm not exactly sure where the Jets are headed. I, I do understand what Joe Douglas is trying to do, but can you honestly look at the, the 2020 Jets a few months into this year and say that they're markedly improved from last year. Uh, I mean, I suppose if you you know if you're an eternal optimist or if you're you know drinking the Kool Aid, you can you can act as if these all of these free agent signings are you know uh, gold stars, and that every offensive lineman that Joe Douglas brought in is a, a significant upgrade over what was there before. Uh, and I can tell you that's that's BS because as you said, Scott, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. They made a clear downgrade at left tackle. It's a massive gamble for Joe Douglas, Adam Gase, to ask George Fant, who was a swing tackle, you know, jumbo tight end, uh, with limited, frankly, limited NFL experience at left tackle, to be the full-time starter, to protect Sam Darnold's blind side. The left tackle is one of the three most important positions in professional football, along with a quarterback and a pass rusher. And you are entrusting that 
with a guy who has some promise, absolutely, but he's going to be 28, so let's not act like he's right out of college and he's a developmental player who could be a star when he's 25. Now, he's going to be 28 years old. He's extremely athletic. He is good in space. Uh, you can see that when you watch the tape. Uh, that athleticism has uh, its, its privileges, for sure. However, the number one job of a left tackle is to protect the passer. And if you're going to tell me today that you have full confidence in George Fant protecting Sam Donald's blindside week in, week out, play in, play out, uh, you know, I, I think you're fooling yourself. I'm not saying that's not possible, because certainly anything is possible. But if you're being objective about it, that is a big question mark. Now, the Jets could draft a tackle with a number 11 pick and entrust him to be Darnold's blindside protector and flip Fant to be the right tackle. If you're doing that, then you're entrusting a rookie uh, to have an enormous responsibility. Or there are, are options still available in free agency. Jason Peters, but he's 38 years old. Or if you're going to trade for Trent Williams uh, closer to the draft. Uh, you know, those are other options. But I think that's a clear downgrade. And, you know, and we can get into details later, but I don't think Greg Van Roten is uh, an upgrade at all uh, at the guard position. If he is indeed going to be the right guard, I'm not necessarily sold that's the case. I think there's a chance uh, that, that Brian Winters, if he proves to be healthy, could stick around. We, you know, we'll find that out soon enough. Uh, you mentioned Connor McGovern being a, a, you know, a stark improvement at center. Uh, what I'll say about Connor McGovern is I thought it was a good signing. Uh, I've also been told by basically everyone that has evaluated him, including a former coach of his, that uh, he's an average center. Now, average still might be much better than what the Jets had, but uh, it's not like Nick Bangle is walking through that door. And then, uh, you know, the right tackle spot, TBD. We'll see what happens in the draft. Uh, so, again, we can get into details but uh, a little bit later, but, you know, I just think this notion of signing one-year contracts or three-year contracts, you know, which are just essentially de facto one-year contracts with an easy out, uh, you, you don't establish any kind of foundation. You know, before we started the podcast, Scott, you and I were talking about how many foundational pieces do the Jets actually have? Sam Darnold, Jamal Adams, Quinton Williams. I think that's probably it. You know, you've got question marks everywhere else. Uh, do you want to include Marcus May? Perhaps. But, uh, you know, you can count on your hand how many guys are going to be the core of this team right now. And it's not nearly enough because you could have a revolving door next year and starting all over uh, Sam Darnold uh, dealing with an entirely new offensive line. Uh, he just lost his best deep threat. They're trying to replace him with a first-round bust who was terrible for three and a half of his four seasons in the NFL, uh, you know, just a lot of question marks. I'm not saying that it can't come together. I'm just saying it's, it, it looks very daunting on paper, to say the least. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. I want to come back to Trent Williams in a little bit because you brought him up and there's an interesting possibility there, especially based on the letter that his agent put out today. But I want to talk about Robbie Anderson's replacement first, and that is Brashad Perriman, the former first round pick of the Ravens. Last year, he had a very nice last month of the season and cashed out on that, essentially, because before that, he really hadn't done much. He missed his rookie year with injuries, didn't produce his second season, ended up getting waived, went to the Redskins for a week, was in Cleveland for a bit, didn't play much. And then last year, the last month of the season, he played really well. But that's a very pass-happy offense. We know that because it's Bruce Arians calling the plays. And on top of that, obviously, Jameis Winston led the NFL in passing yards. So you know there was a lot of passing going on there. So he put up some heavy numbers when he had the opportunity but you have to figure that based on a five-year sample you're really taking a risk by bringing him in here to replace Robbie Anderson and again Robbie got 10 million dollars a year and only over two years with Perriman you're talking about one year six million that could become eight million with incentives for that little amount of money was it really worth having a player that had a really good rapport with Sam Darnold and who was, let's be honest, the only reliable outside threat on this team walk out the door somewhere else. It just strikes me as an odd decision. I think they should have tried harder to keep Robbie Anderson and Perriman, let's be honest, he is what he is. As we said with George Fant, a wing and a prayer, at least with him, he has a couple of games of really good production under his belt, but extenuating circumstances I'm not saying it's a terrible move because they had to do something, but it's not anything that Jet fans should be excited about. I completely agree. Uh, he really did cash in on those final five games. Uh, I think four of those five were without Mike Evans and uh, and uh, Godwin. Uh, they're two star receivers. They were both hurt by the end of the season. He started, uh, he meaning Perryman, started the final three games, had three 100-yard games. He had a an incredible game at Detroit in Week 15, uh, three touchdowns over 100 yards. Uh, it sent a lot of fantasy owners to their championship. Or if you were me, it uh, bounced you from your fantasy playoff. So I will always remember Brashard Perriman for that. But uh, uh, as you said, look, it was a pass-happy offense. A lot of those statistics uh, in that offense were hollow numbers. I believe I believe Tampa finished first or second in the NFL in, in passing yards, uh, total yards, something like that. And obviously uh, the people in that building knew that it was – you know, kind of full of gold because they moved on from their quarterback. Uh, the best thing you could say about Perryman is that he he is shorthanded. He doesn't drop the ball very much, if at all. Uh, you know, he's a speed guy. He can take the top off a of defense. But when you have, you know, a, a, let's say a three-year sample size, because he didn't play as a rookie 
uh, you know, he was disappointing in the year that he played with the Ravens. And this is a team that gave up on him despite investing the number 26 pick in the draft in 2016. They gave up on him after just one year of on-field uh, evidence. And then he went, uh, you know, as you said, he had a, you know, a week or so with, with Washington. He disappointed in Cleveland as well. And then for the most part, he was a non-factor for the Buccaneers you know, until December rolled around. So, you know, credit to him for, for cashing in, getting you know, essentially $6 million for having a good month of football uh, on a team that had a lot of hollow offensive statistics. I just don't understand this element of the Robbie Anderson dynamic. And again, I don't want it to appear that I'm saying Robbie Anderson is an all-pro player. You know, he, he is not that. But he has clearly improved, and he clearly has developed a rapport on the field a chemistry with Sam Darnold, and that should matter. That's intangible, but it should matter to Adam Gase. It should matter to Joe Douglas, because what do the Jets say they want to do? They want to optimize conditions for their franchise quarterback. And Joe Douglas obviously had a special focus on the offensive line. It's smart to have that special focus, uh, the people he brought in, uh, you know, the jury is still out on how good uh, those players actually are. But the, the theory, the philosophy is sound, and you credit Joe Douglas for that. But then for him to discount uh, what Sam Darnold had built with Robbie Anderson is puzzling over a few million dollars, over several million dollars, whatever it is. If you are handing out these low-cost one-year deals to virtually everybody else, at some point, you do have to actually spend a little bit of money for getting a good player. And this notion that, well, the Jets finished 32nd in offense, worst in the NFL with Robbie Anderson, so it's not that big of a loss. That is faulty on a billion levels. By that logic, you could say the same thing about Sam Darnold. The Jets finished 32nd in offense with Sam Darnold as the quarterback, so why not make him expendable? You know, that... You know, that type of thinking is very frustrating for me because it's it's so myopic. It, it just it, it misses the, the point that in order to improve, you need good players. And Robbie Anderson is a good player, a young player, a guy who was clearly getting better with your indispensable piece at quarterback. And then to just scrap that and think you can bring another fast guy who had a good month of football in – to replace him, a guy who's never worked with Darnold, a guy who frankly probably will never work with Darnold again after 2020, is is not the right approach in my estimation. I I, I just don't understand that. I know that sometimes, you know, coaches and, and executives get caught up in, uh, well, this guy's replaceable. He's he's replaceable. He's not that good. You know, I can make him better. Coaches, you know, eternally feel like that. I can make this new guy better. I can, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, and, and GM sometimes think, well, hey, you know, I can save a few million dollars here, so I'm going to do it. But if your ethos is to, you know, make everything around Sam Darnold better, that doesn't just include the offensive line. That also includes young skill position players that he can grow with and develop, uh, you know, a rhythm with and get better with. And if you're going to constantly change out pieces year after year, uh, you're doing him a disservice, and then ultimately you're doing your offense a disservice, and then perhaps most importantly, you're doing your team a disservice. 
I think if you're looking at this realistically, Manish, not as a Jets fan, but just as somebody who follows football, here's what you have to say to yourself. Sam Darnold, at this moment, would be going into the 2020 season with his starting wide receivers being Brashad Perriman and Jamison Crowder. Nobody on the outside, I guess, at this point, it would be Vincent Smith, who's completely unproven. Then on the offensive line, you've got, and this is Brandon Thorne saying this, so don't kill the messenger, one guy who you could say is potentially above average, and that is Connor McGovern. Everybody else is average or below. And so you look at this and say, what is Sam Darnold going to be walking into in 2020? Connor Rogers had the point that at this moment, it looks like Darnold could be heading into a worse situation in 2020 than 2019. Now, there are still options. And I think that one of the biggest problems with signing somebody like Fant is that now you have nobody at tackle, at least as of this moment, who is proven as a viable starter. Yes, I know Fant has started some games, but that's not the same thing as being a full-time starter. So if it's Fant and Adoga... Now you're taking a guy who's coming into his second year off a major injury and really didn't do very well in his first season when he had the opportunity to start. And Fant, who really wasn't very good in the games that he got to start, but is also, as I said, unproven as a full-time starter. And that seems to be a massive risk. However, even if you draft a rookie to play one of the tackle spots, as you said, Manish, that's also very risky because it's different if you have two tackles and one of them is very experienced and smooth the other one's a rookie or inexperienced one can cover up a little bit for the other so if you had say Jason Peters here and for whatever anybody wants to say I know Peters gets nicked up a lot and I know that he's 38 but he's still a really good tackle so if you brought him in here for a year or two especially if that's what Joe Douglas is doing with one and two year deals then I think that would be a major improvement because then if you put him in there at left tackle Fant becomes a lot more digestible because if he makes mistakes Peters can pick up some of that slack and if it's a rookie same thing otherwise you're putting way too much pressure on the rookie or on Fant or on Adoga and there's nobody to clean up the mess and this leads me to Trent Williams because that's the other obvious potential solution to this Trent Williams agent put out a letter today that seemed to me to be more or less a Hail Mary to get him out of Washington what I've been saying this whole time is that the Redskins had way more leverage than people realized because A, there were other teams besides the Jets that want him, and B, he's 32 years old, and how many more years is he going to sit out and not make any money? Because for each year he sits out, he doesn't get paid, and the clock is ticking on his career. This isn't a 22-year-old guy who can just come right back. This is a 32-year-old. If he misses two years, what's going to happen after that? So the Redskins could call his bluff and eventually say to him, look, we put it out there that we wanted a second-round pick or more. Nobody was willing to meet our price. Get in here or sit out another year, which if any owner in the league would do, it would be Daniel Snyder. So I still think there's a decent chance that that's what happens and Trent Williams' hand gets forced and he ends up having to stay with the Redskins. Manish, I want to get your take on this, but from what I can gather, the people that are saying the Jets should go trade for Trent Williams and then they should use the number 11 pick in the draft on a wide receiver... 
I don't think he wants to pay Trent Williams. I don't think he wants to trade a second-round pick for Trent Williams. And I also don't think he's going to use the number 11 pick on a wide receiver. So I don't think any of that happens. I think if they lowered their demands, the Redskins, then maybe Joe Douglas gets in. It doesn't seem that likely that they're going to do that. And even if they did, Trent Williams would have to be willing to play for significantly less than what he's apparently asking for. So maybe I'm crazy, but I just don't see this Trent Williams thing happening. Yeah, there's a, a lot of to, to digest there. I think that uh, what prompted Trent Williams' agent to to release that statement was, uh, look, the, the Redskins had a, a disgruntled player, uh, a cornerback, Quentin Dunbar, who made it clear he wanted out, and he got his wish. Uh, and in return, the Seattle Seahawks gave Washington a fifth-round pick, which is anywhere close to what they're asking for Trent Williams. Now, Trent Williams is a, you know, he's a seven-time Pro Bowl player. Uh, and, and I think the demand should be high. You know, whether that means second-round pick, third-round pick, you know, who's to say? But I think that was the impetus for you know, his, his representative making it clear that, uh, you know, the, they want out. And as you said, look, unless he is okay with essentially throwing his career away at this point, sitting out two years and coming back uh, on the verge of being 33. Uh, you know, he's not going to make that much money at that point if he is ultimately dealt in 2021. I don't see him sitting out two years. Uh, you know, sitting out and losing out on roughly $20 million, you know, two years worth of salary. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't see that happening. I, I would be surprised if that happened. So worst case scenario, yes, I think he could, he would come back to Washington, you know, kicking and screaming, but ultimately still getting paid. But, you know, this idea of giving up a second round pick, you know, unless something drastically changes from a Jets perspective, that, that is not uh, going to materialize. Uh, that being said, I think that the Jets uh, would be smart to trade for him if they could give up less compensation, like one of their third round picks and maybe a day three pick in addition, you know, maybe a three and a five or, you know, whatever. The, one of the, the day three picks, and one of their two third-round picks. If they could do that and then come to an extension with Williams, that doesn't give him the $20 million he supposedly wants. Now, he's due to make just under $11 million in base salary. Uh, I guess, no, it's a little over $12 million. It's somewhere in that t- 10 to $12 million range uh, this year. If he, uh, you know, if he can get that or slightly more in a, you know, in a modest raise, then I think that would would be a good deal for the Jets. I don't, I don't know if the Jets are willing to do that. What, what I found out during the course of free agency was that the Jets were telling representatives of free agents that they were cash-strapped, uh, not cap-strapped. They, you know, they had ample cap, cap space, of course, entering free agency, but cash. And this was something that I suspected. You know, cash is the real money that ownership uh, gives out. Uh, you have to you know, dole out money in escrow if you're giving out big signing bonuses, and the Jets have for the most part, stayed away from that big signing bonus number in these deals. Uh, you know, a big part of that is because they're one-year deals for the most part, but even for these, these three-year deals, you see the Jets giving roster bonuses uh, that don't have any kind of cap, cap implication in future years, whereas the signing bonus gets spread out through the life of the contract. Uh, but, uh, again, when you know 80% of your deals are one-year deals, it's probably not that big of a deal. Uh, you know, the signing bonus or getting a roster bonus five days into the league year. You know, I don't think a player cares either way. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, just getting back to Williams real quick, I, I do think if the price goes down 
uh, not only the price in terms of draft capital, but the price in terms of what he is looking for in a new deal. And I think the Jets would be foolish, frankly, not to seriously explore it, but he is going to have other suitors. You know, I think Cleveland's an option. Others are going to be an option as well. Uh, but I'm with you when it comes to the current state of affairs when it comes to their tackles at the moment, George Fanton and Chuma Indoga. And I'm also with you thinking that I don't believe that that uh, Joe Douglas would draft a wide receiver at 11, uh, even if it's if it's C.D. Lamb or, or, or Judy, if they were there. Uh, they, I think they would be very productive players, but you know, just knowing that this offensive line doesn't really have many pillars, and then you could get one of those pillars at a tackle spot with the 11th pick. I, I think that that's the direction that Joe Douglas is ultimately going to go. But you know, I, I, there needs to be more work. I think there ne- there needs to be more work done. Uh, my understanding is that uh, even though I don't believe it's going to become a reality, but if Tristan Wirfs would get to 11 and look, I, I, let me let me just stop myself and say I don't think he's getting to 11. But if he did somehow for some reason get to 11, that's the player the Jets would draft. Uh, you know, short of that, you've got uh, the Louisville kid, you got the Georgia kid, you got the Alabama kid. You know, one of those three I think will be a New York Jet unless all four of those players are gone. And if all four of those players are gone. I'll be very interested to see what Joe Douglas does. But but clearly the offensive line is still a work in progress, and I think that Joe Douglas understands and realizes that. Manish, what's going on with Jason Peters? Because I brought him up before, and I still can't understand why the Jets wouldn't be interested here. Again, I know he's 38 years old, and I understand that he's been nicked up, but they need somebody that's a proven upgrade at the tackle spot. They haven't gotten that why wouldn't they be in on Jason Peters? Is his asking price too much? What do you know about this? Well, I think the last time we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, I think it'll be a one-year deal. And if it's a one-year deal, it's obviously going to cost a fair amount on the cap because he's probably going to command... Look, if George Fant is getting $9.25 million from the Jets, I would be stunned. <laughs> I would be stunned if Jason Peters played for, for less than that. So, you know, 10-plus million... Is what what it's going to cost on the cap, and you, you know, I don't, I don't know if the Jets uh, would will, would be willing to pay that. Uh, I'm not saying it's the right or the wrong move. Uh, you touched on the fact that he gets nicked up. He's 38 years old. That's all true. Would he be a good stopgap potentially for as long as he's healthy? And I know that I had mentioned that before as well. You don't know how healthy he's going to be. And, and frankly, you know. I, I don't truly know how much faith Joe Douglas and Adam Gase have in George Fant. You know, maybe it's sky high, maybe it's through the roof, and maybe they're not looking uh, to move him from left to right. Uh, you know, may, maybe it's a situation where you know he, he's essentially, even though he signed or he agreed to a three-year, thirty million dollar deal, it's really a one-year, nine point two five million dollar deal. Maybe they're okay with drafting the tackle. Uh, at 11, playing him on the right side and then moving him over to left in 2021, cutting Fant and then looking for another right tackle uh, a year from now. Uh, you know, Maybe that's what they're thinking. Uh, but they clearly believe in Fant enough to be one of their starting tackles. And uh, Jason Peters, if they wanted him, uh, you know, he, he's available. I mean, they can, they can still get him. I just don't know if, they, if they're willing to fork over that kind of money yeah, for 2020. Uh, you know, I'd be lying if I told you if I knew definitively because I don't. But uh, you know, on paper, at least, 
he seems to be a, you know uh, one of their better options left. I really think the Jets should have made more of an effort to play it safe when it comes to the offensive line so that they would have a better chance of adequately protecting Sam Darnold in 2020 the way that Simply Safe protects your home. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm's real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is that the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe gives you a much higher level of home security. If there's a break in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, 24 7 monitoring by live security professionals. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know Play Like a Jet sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. And Manish, like I was saying, when it comes to the offensive line, just feel like if they would have gone into the draft with Peters, Glasgow, and McGovern, all three of them, Obviously, Tooney was unattainable, and they were never in on Jack Conklin. You already have three above-average players on the offensive line. It makes things so much easier for you. Then you can get some rookies, and the rookies aren't under the kind of pressure that they would be under if they get drafted now based on what the Jets have. So, again, I understand what Joe Douglas is doing to a point, but this is a real dangerous game he's playing, and I sure hope that it works out because, Manish, what I've been saying is this actually reminds me a lot of what John Idzik did when he got in here and I thought that Idzik's plan was the correct plan at the time. He just couldn't execute it. So now it all comes down to whether or not Joe Douglas can execute because John Idzik essentially walked the plank because of the fact that he couldn't draft. And if Joe Douglas can draft much better than Idzik, then he's going to do well and this team will be fine. But as you said, if he doesn't knock it out of the park over the next year or two in the draft, this is going to be an ugly situation. Yeah, the heat's on uh, for him to draft well. Uh, not draft you know, at an average level or a mediocre level, because if that happens, this team's not good enough to uh, to be relevant, to, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, they do have you know, some really good coaching on the defensive side, and I, you know, we can perhaps talk about this. Jordan Jenkins, uh, part of the reason that he came back is because he wanted to play for Greg Williams, not because you know he's having beers with Greg Williams. I mean, maybe he is, I don't know, but because he, he believes in Greg Williams as a coach and as a motivator and he, and he loves how he was utilized in that, you know, in that system. And, he, and Jordan Jenkins, believe me, is not alone. Uh, and I'm not talking about just guys on the defense. I'm talking about guys who came back uh, in the last week or so. Uh, a lot of those guys were motivated, you know, coming back to play for Greg Williams. Uh, you know, ultimately money matters, of course, but all things being equal, I think Greg Williams really helped out the Jets' cause in getting some of these players back. But uh, uh, that you know that, that that's fine. It's all well and good. But you need more good players, and you need the general manager to start getting them. And you know, I, I don't want to criticize Douglas. I want to be careful here because I don't want to fully criticize Douglas for what happened in the drafts in Philadelphia because he did not have final say 
you know, there were other decision makers. Clearly, the general manager was Howie Roseman. Other people were involved in the decision-making process on players during Douglas's time in Philly. But if you just look at the draft themselves and, you know, divorce yourself for a minute uh, about who made the final call on player A or player B, if you just look at the drafts themselves in Philadelphia, they were not good. They were below average, and they are a reason – they, they are the reason why the Eagles have roster problems and why they don't have depth. And I think if you talk to anybody in Philadelphia, they'll tell you that they are not happy with those drafts. And again, Joe Douglas was not the final decision maker, but when you look at what was produced in those drafts, it was not good. It was not good enough, not nearly good enough uh, for this Jet team. And if that's the level of production that the Jets are going to get out of these drafts, and I'm not saying that, that that's the case, but if if that is indeed the level that we that that Jet fans are going to see from these Jet drafts, then the Jets are never going to win. It's it, the, those drafts are not nearly good enough. Uh, they're 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 below average. If I had to grade them, I would say they're a C minus. Uh, you know, they're they're just not enough difference makers coming out of those drafts. And uh, you know, I know that there were some decisions made that were out of Joe Douglas's control. But by and large, you know, he was a person who had a significant input in those decisions. And uh, hopefully for the Jets' fans' sake and for the Jets' franchise' sake, uh, now that he is in charge and has final say, these drafts will be uh, exceedingly better than what we saw in Philadelphia because they have to be uh, because of all the reasons that we outlined earlier. Uh, these are uh, marginal players at best that he is bringing in. And he knows it. That's why he's signing these guys to essentially one-term, uh, one-year deals, you know, prove-it deals, uh, trial, trial-year deals. Uh, you know, the heat is on for him. The bullseye is on, as it should be, for him to draft exceedingly well. That's a lot of pressure. You know, obviously one man doesn't draft every, uh, you know, for every team. You've got a community of guys, and that's why I think, it, it, you know, it's probably one of the more fascinating parts of this upcoming draft is when you look at the makeup of the Jets scouting department, uh, you know, there's a perception out there that Joe Douglas revamped the scouting department. That's not true. That's not true in the least bit. Now he brought in Rex Hogan and Chad Alexander from Baltimore. Uh, and truth be told, he wanted to bring in some other people from Philadelphia. Uh, he was not allowed to do so. Uh, but, uh, you know, he had Chad Alexander who came from Baltimore he has Rex Hogan, who was with the Jets uh, under Mike McCagnan for uh, a bit and then went to Indianapolis and then came back uh, to work with Douglas. He has Phil Savage, who's a respected uh, college evaluator, but Phil Savage is a, is a consultant by and large. Uh, he's got those three guys. Uh, for the most part, everybody else in that infrastructure, every single one for the, you know, I mean, maybe I'm missing somebody. I know that Adam Gates fired a scout, so they replaced him, but, for the most part, uh, you know, 85, 90% of the talent evaluators in the Jet organization are the exact same talent evaluators that Mike McCagnan had. So this idea that there's, you know, a fresh set of eyes, uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's like six fresh set of eyes, three different people. But, uh, you know, the other dozen or 15 guys that are involved in the, uh, the evaluation process are exactly the same as the guys that Mike McCagnan had. 
So just keep that in mind uh, if you're a Jet fan and you're hoping for miracles. Uh, you know, I think, you know, a lot of times, depending on you know, where your allegiances lie, you can gloss over reality. And the reality is that, by and large, the same people scouting players for this Jet regime uh, or the people scouting players for this Jet regime are the same ones that were doing so for the previous one. Manish, to your point about Greg Williams, we know that Jordan Jenkins, Brian Poole, Neville Hewitt, and James Burgess all came back in large part because they wanted to play for Greg Williams again. They all came back on one-year deals. And another guy that came in was Pierre Desir. Connor Hughes in The Athletic reporting that Pierre Desir said a phone call from Greg Williams was really what swayed him, although obviously his friend Nate Hairston from their time together in Indianapolis helped as well. But it was Greg Williams calling him and telling him what he thought he could do with him in this Jets defense that really made the difference. And that's why Desir was willing to sign with the Jets so quickly after being released. And I think that's something that the Jets organization should really consider because I'm not necessarily stumping for Greg Williams to be the next head coach if Adam Gase is gone after 2020, but he's a guy that you really want around here in some capacity. So I hope that if the Jets move on from Gase, they find a way to also not move on from Greg Williams. Manish, before we run, though, anything else going on? Any whispers you're hearing? Anything else we should be looking out for? Well, look, if you take a inventory of what Douglas has done and what, what they're still left to do, I think they'd like to bring in some more edge help. And uh, they did have they do have significant interest in Vinnie Curry, who uh, was on that Eagle Super Bowl team when Joe Douglas was in Philly. Now, Vinnie Curry is a rotational uh, edge guy. He, he's not going to play the majority of snaps. He'll have a niche role. Uh, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30, but he was extremely efficient last year. So if you're looking for someone to fill that type of role, I think you could do a lot worse than Vinnie Curry. So uh, whether you know they bring in Curry or somebody else, I think that's a role that they would like to fill. And and then backup quarterback. You know, backup quarterback is still. Uh, a big void, and uh, if there's any team and if there's any coach that understands the importance of having uh, a good backup quarterback, it should be the Jets and it should be Adam Gase, uh, given everything that the Jets uh, went through last year and, frankly, given what uh, what Gase went through in Miami. There is a lot of value in having a guy that you can come in, uh, rely on to come in for one, two, perhaps three games, and be competitive and win games because, uh, as you know, and every Jet fan knows, Scott, they were uh, not only uh, lost, but uh, they, they didn't seem like they, you know, they, they had any desire to be competitive when Sam Darnold wasn't playing last year. So there's some veteran options out there. The one that jumps out is Matt Moore. I don't know. Uh, I don't believe that the Jets have, you know, made overtures to to Matt Moore at this point. But I don't think teams are really knocking down the door. Uh, seriously for Matt Moore right now. I know there's you know been some cursory interest, but Matt Moore is a guy that I know Adam Gase respects, and and I know that there's a mutual uh, you know respect between the player and the coach because of their time together in Miami. If you remember, the only playoff game that Adam Gase has ever uh, been a head coach for was against Pittsburgh when he was in Miami, and the starting quarterback for that game was Matt Moore. Uh, and Moore's a smart player. You know, he is a smart player. You saw some some you know flashes uh, when he was with the Chiefs last year. Uh, you know, he could potentially you know, win a game for you, uh, a game here and there if if need be. So, uh, you know, the Jets will be looking 
you know, at a backup quarterback, Trevor Simeon is, is healthy. And, you know, that could be an option as well. I don't necessarily believe that they're going to break the bank for the back. Uh, but it is interesting when you look at the backup quarterback landscape. You know, Cam Newton potentially is a backup. Andy Dalton, if he shakes free from Cincinnati, he'd be a backup. Obviously, Jameis Winston is a backup. I don't think, frankly, that Cam Newton or Jameis Winston would make sense if I were uh, making decisions for the Jets. I'm not, obviously, but I don't think those guys would, uh, you know, be the best fit, you know, to be in the same room with Sam Darnold. Uh, it's just, just my opinion. Uh, you know, a guy like Andy Dalton absolutely would, but, you know, are the Jets willing to pay more than 2 or $3 million a year for a backup? You know, my gut tells me no. Uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, you know that's just something to look out for. They need a punter. Uh, I, I do think, and we talked about this uh, on a previous podcast, that you know uh, uh, getting a punter, perhaps the best punter in college football in the draft, is uh, you know a day three option for them. But that's you know that's an area that needs to be addressed. Uh, kicker too, but you know these guys, I don't think they're going to be knocking down the door for these types of guys in the next 24, 48 hours. But you know those are some obvious areas. Uh, uh, but ultimately, you know, it feels like this is a recurring theme for the podcast. It'll come down to the draft for for Joe Douglas because we could discuss, you know, the the pros and cons of uh, adding you know, a backup offensive lineman like Josh Andrews or a special teamer like uh, uh, the kid Christian from the Rams or or, or bringing back Bennett Jackson, uh, you know, for the third time in, in less than a year. But ultimately, that's not going to you know make or break this team. Uh, you know, what's going to determine how successful the Jets are, uh, at least in the short term even, is going to be how Joe Douglas drafts over the next year or two. And uh, you know, even though there's an extra playoff team, Scott, because of the new CBA, I think when you look at this schedule and when you look at the current roster right now, uh, yeah, I think it'll be difficult for the Jets to, to break that nine-year playoff drought. And then you're talking about a full decade, a full 10 years of not making the postseason, and clearly that's not going to sit well with Jet fans. The slogan for Jets fans now is, it all comes down to April. The ship is going to sink or swim based on what Joe Douglas does over the course of a couple of days in April this year and next year. So let's keep our fingers crossed that he gets this right. Manish Mehta, covering the New York Jets for the New York Daily News. Thanks for coming on, as always. Really appreciate it. What do you got cooking over in the Daily News? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I guess I'm going to be interested to see what happens uh, in the coming weeks about the NFL offseason because of the corona restrictions. You know, I think the future, uh, in, in the in the spring at least, is still uh, in doubt. I mean, will the Jets and every other team have OTAs? Uh, I mean, I, I can't see that happening. You know, I frankly think, and I mean, Scott, you can tell me what you think, but I would not be surprised if there were no OTAs, if there were you know, no mini camp in June, and the next time players are allowed to come into the facility is the end of July when training camp opens. And that will be fascinating to me because there's going to be a ripple effect across the league. Certain teams are really going to be hampered by that. Uh, the, the Buccaneers with Tom Brady, you know, learning his new teammates, not having an off season with those guys is going to be a problem. And I think from a Jet perspective, what people should keep an eye on is that offensive line. You're going to have five new pieces. You know, one guy coming back in Alex Lewis, but in all, in all likelihood, it's going to be five guys that haven't worked together. And that time in the spring in OTAs 
will be crucial for them to get a feel for each other. Even though they won't be in pads, at least they'll be you know, on the field together. And if, the, if, if this coronavirus restriction extends through the summer and the first time you know, th- this new offensive line gets to work together is the end of July you know, for that four-week, four or so-week time period during training camp, uh, you know, that could have a, a spillover effect into the regular season. And uh, if your offensive line isn't uh, gelling when the season starts, you know, that could be problems. Let's hope that those restrictions aren't necessary in the summer for reasons that are far greater than football. As much as we're looking at things through a football spectrum right now, there's obviously much bigger things at stake. So let's hope that by the summertime, we're in a position where those restrictions are not necessary. Go ahead and follow Manish on Twitter at MMetaNYDN. Read his work over in the Daily News. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.